preaching text is from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed and sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathik, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathik went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hathik went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathik and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do you not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews? For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. 
The word of the Lord. Good morning. As Pastor John introduced me at the beginning of the service, I am Bishop Kristen Kempel, and uh, I'm really excited to get to be with you. This is the third time that we have scheduled this Sunday, and up in the Tri-Cities, they were predicting that it was supposed to be really nasty weather yesterday evening into this morning, and I said to God, God... I cannot reschedule with Emmanuel again. And God heard the cries of his servant, Kristen, and was merciful unto her so that she could come and be with you today. Because I'm really excited, uh, one, to get to be with you. I was with you a few weeks ago with my family. We came just to sit and worship, uh, which was such a gift. We, we had two deaths this fall. My, my father-in-law and my grandmother died within two weeks of one another. And we were just soul tired and uh, Pastor John invited us to just come and worship and and it was a gift and it was nice because I was able to come and find the church before today and I got to visit with a few of you after the service and so it just feels like I'm back with friends again today so thank you very much for your warm welcome both of those days another reason I was really excited about today is because I have never gotten to preach on Esther ever in my life. Now, some people, particularly men, oftentimes, some of them, will know that they have wanted to be a pastor since they were itty-bitty. Was that your case, John? Did you know you were going to be a pastor? High school? Okay. Now, I did not have that luxury, but I was always wondering. Like, my mom can tell stories. My mom and dad came back with me because they had a good time a couple too. Uh, my mom can testify that when I was small, very small, I would play prayer and I would take a clean cloth diaper and put it on my head and kneel beside my bed and see how long I could pray. I could pray a long time. I always had this sense that God was with me. Always. There's never been a moment in my life when I haven't felt the presence of God, clearly, even as a tiny, tiny girl. But there weren't women leaders in church. So I didn't know that that was even an option for me. I didn't know that I could grow up and be a pastor. I didn't know that there was an entire book dedicated to a woman leading God's people idea. And so the opportunity to come before you today and preach with Esther as my preaching companion is a delight to my soul. Because women, women understand and know how to lead God's people as well. And she's a wonderful testimony to that. Pastor John sort of gave you a little bit of a recap, but because that came out of children's Bible, Actually, there's a few other details that they choose to leave out, and that's okay. I was also reflecting, it must be really hard to do a children's sermon for your own children. A prophet, there is no honor in your own hometown, is there? (laughs) Yeah, sure, whatever, Dad. (laughs) Yeah, we'll pray, whatever. So there's a little bit more to it than that. The king didn't know Esther was Jewish. She had been taken into his harem, 
and found favor with the king, and the king married her and made her his queen. But as we learned in the story, the king had not sent for Esther for 30 days, a whole month. Now, I think it is safe to say that any marriage or any relationship where you have not seen one another for 30 days, the relationship is probably not on great footing at that point, is it? So Esther comes in with three marks against her. One, Mordecai is telling her she needs to approach the king on the behalf of the Jews. And for anyone to approach the king without a specific invitation to approach, he can kill them right away. The king has not been interested in seeing Esther for a month. In going to the king without an invitation, she is then going to have to reveal that she is Jewish. And third, she is a woman, which means she carries even greater danger in approaching the king without permission. So think for a minute. A little more background on Esther. We think that she was an orphan. So she had no value. In the Old Testament world, women's value was communicated by their most closely related male relative. So it would come through your father. And if your father was dead, it would come through your brother or your husband. If you weren't, if you weren't married, it would come through your brother. If you were married, it would come through your husband. But on your own, you had no value. You had no voice. And so Esther has cousin Mordecai. He is her closest male relative. Cousin is not much. So look at what we have here, okay? This is what I want you to think about. We have a woman who is queen, but she is Jewish. She has no authority or standing in her own culture because she has no male, close male relative. Her marriage is on the rocks, and her people are threatened with annihilation. And she is the one to save God's people. When Mordecai, when Mordecai first comes to her and says, you need to go to the king, she's like, uh-uh, no way. Let me lay it out for you here, Mordecai. I can't go. The king and I are not doing so hot right now. And even if we were, he could kill me just for walking in the room without an invitation. So no, somebody else is going to have to do this. Somebody else is going to have to take this on because it's not me. And Mordecai's response is, perhaps this is why you were made queen. Maybe God puts you here for a reason, Esther. Maybe you are the way that God will save his people. Esther is wise. She is a wise queen. So she tells Mordecai, okay, gather all of the people. And you need to have them fasting and you need to have them praying. And I'm going to be fasting and praying up in the, in the palace. And I will go and I will talk to the king. Esther slowly builds up repairs her relationship with the king. And finally, after three sort of uh, meetings with him, confesses that she is a Jew 
and that Haman wants to kill all of the Jews because her cousin Mordecai will only bow to God. Now, the king is appalled. He makes everything right, okay? The Jews are fine. They're safe. He demotes Haman. It all ends in a nice, happy bow. But you have to wonder, right? You have to wonder about a God who would put this sort of thing, I mean, the, the, the salvation of the Jewish people, right, in the hands of a young girl who clearly doesn't want the responsibility, right? Why wouldn't he put it in the hands of, like, someone more like King David, right? This mighty and righteous man after God's own heart. Well, David wasn't that great either. What about Saul? Saul was a good guy, right? Well, no. Not really. Huh. I think the reason why we still have the story of Esther with us even today and why we should read it far more often than we do is because it reminds us of what God has to work with. That God has us. It's Advent, right? Is it? Okay. <laughs> it is Advent, right? What are we waiting for? Christ, who is what? The Savior of the world. Amen. And what do we get? A baby born out of wedlock to an unwed mother? Is that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Is that what you expect? If you were to hear that God was going to send a mighty Savior who would save the people from all of their sins, would you expect? Would you expect a baby like that? Would you? No. And yet that is what we're waiting for, right? That is what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus to come. And we're thinking of this sweet, downy little head. You know, baby noggins are just the best, aren't they? They're just fuzzy and they smell good. And Jesus probably smelled like a little bit like clean hay, which is even better. And we're dreaming of this, you know, sweet little mild baby. And we're waiting and we're lighting candles to watch for Messiah, and we're thinking about all of these wonderful things that happen with Christmas, and this baby is coming to die. Last week, I was in Moscow for an Advent brunch, and I was asked the question, uh, what is your favorite Christmas song? And I said, my favorite Christmas song, I said, my favorite religious Christmas song is, uh, what child is this? as long as you include the verse about the crucifixion. Nail, spear shall pierce him through, the cross be born for me and for you. This sweet little baby is going to come to die. This sweet little babe of Bethlehem 
will be the man hanging on the cross. Because you can't have Christmas Eve without also having Good Friday. Those are the bookends of our life of faith. Birth and death and resurrection, right? God does things differently than what we expect. He sends a young queen in to save the Jewish people from annihilation, and he sends a baby to save his people from sin, death, and the devil. He sends a baby to come and forgive us our sins. He sends a baby to make us his own. Right? This is crazy. This is like a plan only God could come up with. Only God would think plan would work, right? Only God would envision coming to us in such a way that we aren't afraid, that we welcome him, that we dream of being there in that stable that night with a lap full of Jesus, tiny little hand clinging to our finger. Martin Luther used to say, if you are afraid of God, then come to the manger. If you are afraid of God, come to the manger. This is what we're waiting for. A baby who will change everything. A baby who will fly in the face of everything we know to be true about humanity and life in this world. A baby who will come and redeem us through death. A baby whose moment of greatest triumph appears as though he is utterly defeated, hanging on the cross when he cries out, it is finished. It is finished. That is what we wait for. It's not so much the little baby, it's what the little baby will do. And he will end it all, the fear and the pain, and the loneliness, the judgment, the horror, the separation from God. We wait for Emmanuel, God with us. Not far away like the king was far away from Esther, but with us. With us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think that God loves me enough to actually be with me, That just seems even crazier, right? Because I know what I'm like on the inside. But he's coming to be with us, to be with you, to give everything that he has for you. This is what we celebrate. This is what we wait for. This is what we yearn for. This is what we are created to be. God's own people. So as we continue our Advent journey, ugh, I hate that term. I heard that phrase. I can't even believe I just used it. Advent journey. (sighs) Let me rephrase that. See, that's that's the problem when you go off script. You say things you don't like. As we continue our Advent waiting, let us remember what we're waiting for. Not the beautiful babe in Bethlehem but God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, who will save us from all that threatens to tear us from God. 
Thanks be to God for this love that surrounds us every day of the year. Amen.